Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. With this episode, we begin a short series of conversations with documentary filmmakers whose work will be featured at the upcoming New Hampshire Film Festival, which will take place in Portsmouth, New Hampshire from October 12th to the 15th. For more information about that festival, including its lineup of films, visit nhfilmfestival.com. First up, I'm chatting with Pete Davis, the co-director of a documentary called Join or Die. Join or Die depicts the half-century story of America's civic unraveling through the journey of legendary social scientist Robert Putnam, whose groundbreaking bowling alone research into America's decades-long decline in community connections could hold the answers to our documentary's present crisis. Here's the film's trailer. This is Bob. Bob's a big fan of clubs. I belong to everything. That's my high school bowling team. I'm the tall one in the middle. And this is a film about why you should join one and how Bob discovered that the fate of America depends on it. Harvard professor and award-winning writer Robert Putnam. You've been described as the poet laureate of civil society. Robert D. Putnam. For deepening our understanding of community in America. He made people pay attention to a concept that most people had never paid attention to. Social capital. Social capital. Social capital. Social networks have value. I'd like to call on Professor Robert Putnam, who gave us the concept of social capital. The number of people who know one another's first name, the number of people who take part in community organizations, the level of trust and reciprocity in the community. The places that have better government are the places that have a long history of social networks and social capital. Your chances of dying over the next year are cut in half by joining one group. Bowling Alone. Where'd you get the title? I happened to run into a friend who owned a bowling alley. And he said, gosh, Bob, you don't know it, but you stumbled onto the major economic problems facing my industry. Because although more Americans are bowling than ever before, bowling is up in America. Bowling in leagues, bowling in teams is off by about 60%. Everything that reflects connections with other people are going down. How many times last year did you go to church? Down. How many times did you go to a dinner party? Down. How many times last year did you go to a club meeting? In barely a couple of decades, half all the civic infrastructure in America had simply vanished. It's equivalent to saying half of all the roads in America just disappeared. Everyone has a feeling something's happening, but then he's got charts to actually show what's actually happening. Whatever's happening to people's sense of mutual obligation, to their understanding about the common good, to their willingness to trust their neighbor, is no longer going on because people are bowling alone. The book Bowling Alone, which you're familiar with by yep. Robert Putnam. The activity may still be going on, but there's no social capital being built. That decreases the trust we have in one another. How lonely Americans are, how divided. You know, he may have been on to something. We have to see loneliness as a threat to our health security and to our overall national security. We are trying something that hasn't been done before, which is growing and sustaining a multiracial democracy. Politics and policy ultimately depends on the social health of our country. Organization, connections with other people, is the only way you get big change. Democracy is a pain in the ass. If it was just easy, no one would have to go to a meeting and it would all just be fair and easy. You should join, your kids should join, and if there's not an organization you want to join, create one. America doesn't have to be the kind of America that you've lived in your whole life. You could decide to change history. 
Pete Davis, who along with Rebecca Davis co-directed the film, is also a writer and a civic advocate. And he just so happens to be a former student of Robert Putnam's. He's the author of Dedicated, The Case for Commitment in an Age of Infinite Browsing. And he's the co-founder of the Democracy Policy Network, an organization focused on raising up ideas that deepen democracy. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum, from providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs. Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. Now on to my conversation with Pete Davis. Hello, Pete Davis. Welcome to Making Media Now. So glad to be here. So, Pete, your your film that you co-direct with your sister, Rebecca Davis, focuses on the work of a political scientist named Robert Putnam. Tell us who Robert Putnam is, how your paths intersected, and what was it about the nature of his work that you and Rebecca felt so compelling that it mandated this this really uh, interesting and in- intriguing documentary? Well, Robert Putnam is a Harvard professor. He sometimes is referred to as a sociologist, but he dabbles in economics, uh, political science, political scientist as well, and um, and history. And he is famous for being the rediscoverer and popularizer of this idea called social capital. And he defines social capital as the collection of kind of rules, networks, and norms, and uh, social trust that we sometimes uh, informally call community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, his, his big insight of social capital is that social networks have value. A uh, simple forward insight with big uh, consequences to it. So we tell the story of how he rediscovers this concept by going to, you know, in the 70s, he went to Italy um, when Italy had broken up from a centralized government to a bunch of regional governments. And thinking like a social scientist, he said, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing thing to study. We can compare all these different governments and find out which ones are working the best and why. And then he does all this data collection and finds out, okay, here's the top government, here's the bottom government, here's all them in the middle. And then he finds out that the thing that's most correlated with government success, but also with citizen satisfaction, with institutions like schools and police and hospitals functioning, is not necessarily the design of the Constitution. It's not necessarily how thriving the economy is. It is whether there's bocce clubs and soccer Mm. leagues, whether people are reading the newspaper, whether people are talking with each other in public, whether neighbors are knowing each other. It's the social connections that make democracy work. And then we take the film back to America where Bob traveled and he says, oh, I wonder if in my home country how we're doing on this question of community connections. And he finds that basically since the mid-century from, you know, 1960s onward, 
we've had a steep decline in all ways we are connecting. We're joining unions less. We're joining religious congregations less. We're joining clubs less. We're meeting our neighbors for informal dinners less. He actually found out that we're picnicking less with each mm. other. Um, and he put that together into a book called Bowling Alone, appropriately titled, because we're bowling the same amount as we always have been, but we're bowling in teams less. Yeah. Um, and then he finds out that's going to have a big effect on our democracy. And um, and that's what happened because of the decline of community connections. Um, our democracy is in trouble. And then the final part of the film is how can we turn this around? How can we save America by, you know, joining up again and becoming a nation of joiners? And his original work, his original thesis, uh, you became aware of it. How? I was one of his students um, okay. back 13 years ago now in 2010. I took his small seminar called uh, Community in America. And it was like the class that changed your life because it, you know, he, you're a political science student at college and you want to think about the presidency and what's happening in these big national elections. Maybe you care about the economy. Maybe you're excited about the latest app. And what Bob told us in this class was actually, you should be paying attention to what's going on in your own neighborhood who's not just the president of the united states but you know how's the president of the rotary club doing in every in every town across the country mm -hmm. because as his research had found that's going to be really key to the thriving of our country and so i took that lens of social connection uh and took it with me for the rest of my life and as i saw news stories of what was going on in america i kept saying you know what's the putnam angle on this you know when people are being evicted from their homes it's not just an economic story it's a story of being people being ripped from a community mm -hmm. when people are dying of opioid epidemic um or dying by suicide or there's an increase in kind of deaths by alcoholism you know there's recent studies that have called that not just you know a public health issue it's de quote deaths of despair because of the fraying of our social fabric and the answer might not just be you know, more treatment and more hospitals and more funding for public health, even though that's important. It also might mean we need to think about how can we weave together communities better. Um, and so, you know, and then finally, most of, you know, significantly, when you see politics get really crazy, um, it's not might not just be the players that are at the top. It might be something about the fabric of our social connections down, you know, down among ordinary people that leads to that craziness in politics. So when Putnam first uh, publishes uh, his academic paper in the 90s and then follows it up early 2000s with the book Bowling Alone, um, what is he pointing out as so, so some of the factors that were contributing to uh, the breakdown of, of what you refer to, what he refers to as social capital or social cohesion at that time? You know, this is the question everyone at first asks when, you know, they ask it to Bob and they've asked it to us on the film. And, you know, it's it's a, it's a complicated issue. You know, he yeah. found some tiny factors that might have, you know, 10% of an effect. So, you know, suburban sprawl is a is a big deal. The fact that commuting times increased, the fact that we weren't designing as dense of cities or as as kind of contained of villages. Um, so he thinks that might be five to 10%. He thinks women in the workforce, the fact that we might have, you know, most moms were at home, not just tending to their families, but tending to community life while their husbands were away at work in the mid century, that might've contributed partially to it. But, you know, these don't tell the whole story 
Um, you know, because, you know, you have things where there's a lot of community in places with sprawl and there's a lot of working women that are, you know, there's not that many differences today between people working and not working that contribute to community. So we found two, so we still went looking some more and he found two major factors that still, um, you know, leave some room for mystery. So one is television. Um, which is, you know, there was basically less than 10% of Americans had a TV in 1950. Less than 10% of Americans didn't have a TV mm-hmm. in 1960. Huge rapid increase in this change in entertainment. And basically before TV, even though radio might have been there, um, if you wanted entertainment, you'd go hang out with your friends. Right. Um, with TV, uh, you know, Bob likes to say we're watching friends instead of having friends. Right. And um, he actually found interesting studies where in places where TV didn't even get to till the 80s or something, those places had more community until the TV invaded. Mm-hmm. And you can see now, even with our super TVs in our pockets, smartphones, that's going to erode community even more. The other major factor he found was what he calls generational transfer. So people who were born in 1920 are still as communal as they were in 1960. People who were born in 1940 are a little less communal. People who were born in 1960 are a little less communal and on and on through the generations. So it's not like everyone is becoming less communal. It's actually people are as communal as they were, but with each successive generation, the level of communality that we have is going down and down and down. So Yeah, that, that almost falls into the category of you can't miss what you never had. So if, if, if you never grew up in an environment where, uh, you know, civic organizations and community organizations or, you know, even even organizations like a bowling team or a softball team or a chess club or something wasn't part of your uh, social DNA, the odds are probably lower that you're going to be the outlier that establishes it. Um, exactly. You know, and we really were trying to capture that with the film. Part of you know, my sister and I talked about this as co-directors of this film all the time, where we wanted the film to show people what they a world that they might never have known. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this uh, Dr. Seuss book called The Lorax, mm-hmm. and this young guy goes to this large tower, and this man inside the tower says, let me tell you about what our life was like, you know, 50 years ago. There used to be truffle trees everywhere. And the kid has no context for what even a truffle tree is. So it's not like he's nostalgic for it. He's like, oh, I didn't know it could be different. That's exactly what I as a millennial feel when I hear these stories about Bob. And as we talk to people and as we look through this historic archive, oh, my gosh, people got together every Thursday night and they dressed up and they did ceremonies. And um, that wasn't even a religious ceremony on Sunday or Saturday. They did the religious ceremonies, but then they did another ceremony with the Elks Club or the Moose Club. And then not just Thursday night, they do Tuesday night and they'd have Thanksgiving potlucks. They'd have annual banquets and they'd have parades. You know, we don't even know the half of it. Um, There were, you know, we like to point out in the film, there were so many clubs. There were clubs inside of clubs. You know, there was there was like the the union band or the, you know, the the. Elks Club Bowling League, you know, it was, um, that's how much club life was such a normal thing. Um, it wasn't considered a hobby. It was considered like part of your life. So, you know, you you, you point to some of the um, initial 
uh, technologies at play that could have contributed to a certain social isolation. You know, television, as you point out, you no longer had to leave your home to go and see a movie with a bunch of other people, etc. You could just go in your living room and do it. And then, of course, you know, in the in the uh, early to mid 2000s, social media just explodes. And that's closer to your generation. How did Putnam receive the phenomenon of what social media uh, was, how that was impacting civic organizations, social organizations? And what role did that play uh, for you and Rebecca when thinking about how to tell this story so that it's meaningful to a contemporary audience? Yeah, you know, when Bob first wrote Bowling Alone, he has a little section on the insurgent internet. It was 2000, so it was very early in the days of the internet. And most of the social capital writing coming out at that time was the internet might solve the problem. Absolutely. Bowling Alone might be over soon because we're all going to connect on Facebook and we're going to have this flourishing of community that's going to change everything. It was this vast vista. And now we look back and we see, you know, at best... Nothing has changed that much. At worst, it's contributed to um, to the decrease. Um, you know, it's Bob's almost given alone. rise to this phenomenon of being alone together. <laughs> yes, and you you talk to you know Gen Zers, and they say you know we all sit in a room and like Instagram together or yeah. something, which is interesting. <laughs> um, and Bob's not a luddite. You know, we feature and we wanted to show both sides of the internet in our film, so we have a very quick internet section. Where we show a union organizer talking about how people arguing on Facebook hurts their effort to union organize. So like sometimes you got to have, and she says, what you got to do as an organizer is you got to walk into the room, talk with your coworkers face to face and have a hard conversation that you can't have on Facebook. The goal is not to dunk on each other. The goal is to organize each other. Um, And then right after that, we have, um, uh, Scott Hefferden, who founded Meetup, who has put together this, who loves Bob, Red Bowling Alone, was partially inspired by it to found Meetup. And he started a, a website where you go and you find out about clubs in your town that you then meet up in person uh, to get connected with. So there, you know, the internet is how we want to use it. Mm-hmm. And the one message we have on it is just don't think that it will replace uh, community automatically. You have yeah. to decide to form real relationships, preferably in real life relationships if possible, um, that are really committed to each other to have this connection. Uh, you know, when I was watching the- when I was watching your film, I was thinking about the difference in sort of uh, group types. There are those organizations, this is a generalization, but there are those organizations that sort of the mission of the organization is to reach outward to use the the power of the group to involve others and to share with others what makes this particular group special whether it's a you know it's an interest in and and one of the arts or maybe it's mission driven and then there are other organizations that seem to to spring up from social media environments that the purpose of the group is much more insular it's to let's all gather together and and remind each other why we're this and everybody outside our group is that. Those are very two different types of groups, aren't they? <laughs> totally. You know, Bob has this really interesting nuance called 
bridging versus bonding social capital that he talks about. So bonding social capital is connection with people who are very similar to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Bridging social capital is connections with people who are a little different than you. And, you know, bonding social capital has its benefits. You know, um, if you get really close with people, you share an identity, it's easy to talk. There's no tensions you have to resolve because you're so similar. Those are the type of people that usually will bring you soup when you're sick that are gather around you. They're hard times that are easily understand you when you want to be vulnerable about something you might feel the safest among them but you know in a multicultural society and in a society you know and not even multicultural you know multiracial multi-generational multi-religious you know multi uh, cross-class um you know society to keep society from falling apart or becoming a bunch of pockets of super bonding people that all hate other bond groups, you need to have a lot of bridging too. Um, And Bob likes to point out that bridging is harder than bonding. So it takes a little bit more work to do, but it has the benefit of holding our society together, you know, having all the benefits that come with diversity of thought and experience and, um, and bringing newness into your life. And, uh, and uh, we need both. And so uh, if you're seeing a society where you're like, oh, gosh, I don't like community. Why is this guy on this podcast talking about community? Community is when we all hunker down and, you know, hate each other except our in-group. That just means you have too much bonding social capital and not enough bridging social capital. Yeah, it's a fascinating fascinating uh, distinction. Another thing, I I, want to give a real shout out to the animator who worked on on your film because... You know, you all are taking a a very interesting and yet from the outside looking in, it could be considered a bit of a dry topic, like a social scientist. And there's a movie about this, you know, academic uh, assertion when when you and Rebecca were thinking about making this movie. Uh, how did the uh, the role of animation and how it was going to be used come into play? animation was going to so a shout out to our, our animator mark lopez who runs this wonderful org called silkworm studio um he is amazing yeah and uh when we were thinking about um animation you know we knew we had to have it for that exact reason you know even though i think you know bob's one of the most charismatic academics out there and these ideas are relative to you know the average academic idea very applicable to daily life it's still a lot of graphs and it's still a lot of numbers and it's still a lot of data and you can't have a movie that, uh, you know, it's just, you know, this number is going down, this number is going down, this number is going down, (laughs) you know, spoken at you without any visual fun there. So one is we wanted someone who could take all this social science data and make it fun and lively. The second thing we wanted was we really wanted to bring our archive video to life. And we also have a boring challenge there where the average photo of a club in American history is a bunch of people lined up for photo day. <laughs> so so it's just like groups of people all standing together. And at the bottom, yeah. it says 1937, you know, Topeka Elks Club. Um, and we wanted to make this like a really lively, almost bubblegum scrapbook of American history to, sh- to bring to life these photos to show them that 
club life is not a soft, you know, a flat black and white, white photo. It's a bunch of people getting together and having parades and picnics and potlucks and, and dances and, you know, all the different things people used to do when they get together. And the person that could, you know, Mark Lopez had this expertise in this collage style of animation Mm -hmm. where you can mix real photos with making those photos like kind of dance and move and things like that. Yeah, it, it it really makes it uh, it does a great job in making sort of the esoteric uh, very relatable and uh, and, and very un- comprehensible. Uh, another thing that I really enjoyed about the film is that, you know, you're not picking sides, you're not casting any blame. And the participants you have in the film hats off for for uh, uh, landing interviews with a diversity of thought across the political spectrum, you know, on the left or the progressive side, you've got Hillary Clinton and Pete Buttigieg, but then, you know, representing the the conservative side, you've got Glenn Lowry, you've got Mike Lee, and then, you know, kind of skirting in the middle there, you got David Brooks, and yet none of them are speaking as politicians. They're speaking as Americans. Um, talk to me a little bit about the thinking that went into who do we want to hear from and and how do we make sure that our interviewees are sort of addressing this topic as yeah. opposed to, um, you know, casting blame for how we got this way. Totally. You know, Bob's idea and the idea of kind of reviving community in America is one of the few ideas in America left that has cross-partisan appeal. Mm-hmm. And um, we really wanted to have this movie be a movie for everyone. You know, my sister and I have our own political beliefs. Uh, we believe them strongly, but we didn't want this movie to be too colored uh, by them because we wanted this to be a movie for all of America because, you know, sometimes you got to get together with your side and fight for what you believe in. And other times you got to find projects that work on other things that have strange uh, allies with you sure. in them. Yeah. And um, so we, you know, we wanted a range of people that have been, everyone has been kind of affected by or commented on or kind of implicated by Bob's work. And so we wanted to show the range of that showing, you know, that the Clinton administration was affected by Bob's work and Senator Mike Lee, who is kind of a Trump supporting Republican was affected by uh, Bob's work. But we also wanted to make sure as we interviewed them, we had them talk about their, uh, their community side, not their political side. So, you know, when we interviewed, uh, you know, uh, Secretary Buttigieg, who's current Secretary of Transportation, you know, we mostly wanted him to talk about his experience of, uh, you know, being a small town community leader (laughs) and also his experience, you know, the highway, the, the transportation administration has a bunch of political projects, but we wanted him to focus on, you know, how do you design a street to be communal, right. you know, in a, in, in, uh, in a town? Um, you know, when we talked to, uh, uh, Secretary Clinton, we wanted, uh, her to talk about, you know, her historic experience of meeting with Bob. So she actually had an interaction with Bob of her role in history and Bob's role in history coming together for a few episodes. And, um, but we also wanted her to talk about how she was inspired in her work by civic groups like the suffragists who, you know, as she points out in the movie, and one of the points we're trying to make in the movie is 
we often learn about the end of movements, like the moment they got women right to vote. We don't learn about 50 years before where a bunch of people are meeting up, not knowing if anyone's going to agree with them mm -hmm. to meet in a local group, in a state group to start building up towards a movement being mm -hmm. successful. So one of the other things that I really enjoyed about your documentary and, you know, you 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 have in the in the film something that makes all powerful documentaries powerful and that is along with all the compelling statistics and overview of trends and interviews and whatnot there's some very very human moments uh particularly with robert putnam and particularly around how he was impacted uh by john f kennedy's inaugural address could you talk about that a bit yeah, you know, if I could go on a little tangent about that, I was just listening to this director um, on a podcast talk about how, in the end, you just got to put in what you like into yeah. your movies. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and there's nothing more to it. Like what you are, if your heart is not drawn to an aspect of your movie, it's it's going to show up on the screen that your heart's not in it. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that my sister and I have is, you know, I, we're very, I'm, we're very relational learners in that, you know, when we're learning a topic, we want to learn about the person that's teaching us the topic. Like when I hear about Einstein's theory of relativity, I also want to know a little bit about his biography of like, where was he walking when he thought that up? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm always fascinated in all my favorite teachers um, and heroes, like, you know, what's going on with them? And so, you know, you know, I find, and we really wanted to show this in the movie, and we did, it's basically also just a working biography of Bob, too, is I'm just fascinated about how did this random kind of Midwestern detective, uh, detective professor from, uh, uh, you know, happen upon this kind of huge idea about the connection between community and, and democracy. And it's a really wild story, you know, it's, and it starts with his own heart passion of being a public spirited person, which is he went to the inauguration of John F. Kennedy and was really moved by it yep. as a young Nixon supporting Republican. He was yeah. moved by it, that it kind of changed his whole life. And, you know, we wanted to show that how his heart got into this question of saving America. And then we wanted to show his whole journey in Italy. You know, I fly to Italy. I have no idea what I'm researching. I don't fly there um, because I'm going to go research community. I fly there because I'm going to try to see what I find when I compare different governments. We wanted to show that process. We wanted to show him in the library up late at night, discovering that there's this old concept called social capital and making the connections that it connects to his work. And one of the proudest things we've heard um, as a reply to the movie movie is some people have come up to us and said, you know, I know your main audience is kind of any American that's excited about connecting to community, like the content of the movie. But, you know, I really love that you showed a social science procedural. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like it's rare really that true. we get a story of how when you see a news story where it says, you know, Northwestern professor says that this is connected to this, you know, what is the story of how all that data comes together? How is it analyzed? And how does someone have confidence to assert something as big as, you know, community is the leading factor of democratic success. And we have seen huge declines since 1915 community. Well, a lot of really interesting detective work goes into that. And we wanted to put some of that on the screen. Yeah. Very academically forensic. Yes. 
Yeah, and it's it's just fascinating that, you know, you we sometimes because we're so inundated with just floods and floods of words, um, when you think back to sixty something years, just the simple phrase, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, and how that just struck at the heart of of what Robert Putnam was perhaps lack the ability to put into words at the time yep. but but what was so important to him and it's just it's i just thought it was wonderful the way you brought that brought that across in the yeah, film it, you know one of the things we wanted to show and Putnam has this great line about that that we put in the film which is you think that's some prophetic line where kennedy is convincing people to you know act for your country and they go oh i never thought to do that before thank you john f kennedy but what, you know, I will do this thing differently. But what he actually shows with his data, and you discover later looking back at that, is people were receptive to that sure. because we were at a high point of community in, in, in the country. And he was just the cherry on top saying what everyone already agreed with, which is yeah. they were training every week in their clubs to think about something bigger than the themselves and um so of course the president would say something like that and you'll start noticing that today because we're training in the opposite way by not having clubs by not having civic life by being inundated both messages that being hyper individualistic is the way to go and survive politicians are going to say something else for an applause line now um like you know i alone can fix this or you know uh everything's a giant mess don't believe in anything yeah. you know that would get an applause line now because of the culture of the times that so we wanted to show in the movie cultures have different times you know times have different cultures and different spirits and uh you can contribute to changing the underlying spirit of a time um and look what can happen when you do so your film is going to be playing uh, at the New Hampshire Film Festival, uh, which will be running in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, from October 12th to the 15th. Uh, aside from running the festival circuit, what is your plan for presenting this film to the world in terms of distribution? Well, first, you know, we're on the festival circuit. We're also on the community screening circuit. So if anyone goes to joinordie.film ho uh, or specifically host.joinordie.film, okay. there is a form right there that you can fill out to bring uh, join or die to your community. And our, our little joke for it is we want you to watch this film together. So, <laughs> you know, in the spirit of the film. Yeah. So um, anyone can reach out and hopefully we can set up a community screening in your neck of the woods. And then by next year, our dream is to have a broadcast um, and streaming, yeah. hopefully with, um, you know, a broadcast partner and a streaming partner. So um, we're kind of in conversation, early conversations about that and hope, uh, hope that can happen coming to you probably next year. Fantastic. Well, I've been speaking with Pete Davis, who is the co-director, along with his sister, Rebecca Davis, of a of a really uh, fun and interesting and insightful documentary called Join or Die. Pete, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having us on. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. 